and welcome to Something Interesting. I'm Albert Berg, and for today's interesting thing, I want to tell you about a man named Thomas Stevens. Thomas Stevens lived in Great Britain, and he had this plan to ride around the world on a bicycle. So he starts in America. He gets his start in California. He rides up through California, across the Rocky Mountains, all the way down through Chicago, makes it eventually to New York City, crosses the Atlantic on a boat, goes across England, goes into the continent, makes his way through France and China, and ultimately makes his way to Japan, where he finishes his circumnavigation of the globe on a bicycle. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, that's kind of impressive. But what's really interesting about this guy, I mean, we've got all kinds of weird athletic type people who are doing crazy things these days. But what's interesting about Thomas Stevens is he was not from these days. Thomas Stevens set out on his trip to go around the world on a bicycle in 1887. And the bicycle that Thomas Stevens rode on his round-the-world trip wasn't a regular bicycle like you might go and buy at Walmart today. No, it was a penny-farthing bicycle. One of those giant-wheeled bicycles that you see in the old-timey photos Thomas Stevens rode around the world on one of those. And to make matters even more complicated, most of the world that he was riding around at that time didn't have good rideable roads. Especially on his trip across the American continent, he was essentially walking for like half the trip. And I read about Thomas Stevens. I don't remember exactly where I originally heard of his story, but you can pick up his book Around the World on a Bicycle. And it's a really fascinating look into the geography and the makeup of the world at the time. I'm actually just now finishing up the part about America, going into the parts about England, so I have not completed the book yet. But... In the parts about America, it was fascinating to read what this man saw. And he's really kind of a poet in the way he describes the the landscape and the people that he encounters. He's a little bit racist. You gotta get around maybe some not-quite-21st-century attitudes that he has. Not necessarily that he bashes anybody too much one way or the other but just you know he makes a note of the fact that there's Chinese people around and he's not necessarily as uh, sensitive about that as somebody in our time might be he uses the word celestials for them which I'd never heard before like his, his racism was so old that I just hadn't picked up on that term even being a possible thing that you could apply to any racial group so I learned that But I wanted to read to you one of the best passages in my mind 
illustrating this journey that he goes on because he's traveling through the United States. And like I said, some of these places don't have roads. And as he comes up to the Rocky mountains, everybody who he talks to, as he's saying, Hey, I'm going to go on this journey. They say, well, you're not going to be able to get through the Rocky mountains. They're full of snow right now. There's no walking. There's no horse riding. There's no way you're going to be able to get this bike even with its giant wheel, anywhere close to getting over those huge mountains with all their snow. And he says, no, no, no. Somebody's already solved that problem for me. And the people who had solved that problem for him were the railroads. This is not far long after the two sides of the country had been connected by the Intercontinental Railroad. And what he does is he travels through specially built tunnels kind of tunnels called sheds that had been built for the trains. And what the sheds were, were essentially like lean tos that had been built as an extension of the mountain over the train tracks. So if there was a avalanche or a snow slide or a falling of snow, the train tracks wouldn't be blocked. Instead, it would just sort of land on the top of this sloped roof of this shed and slide off. And so his plan is to travel through these sheds that were built for the trains. And so he does this. This is actually how he gets through. But the details of this journey, this particular leg of the journey, are really interesting. And I'm going to read from the book here now. East of the summit is a succession of short tunnels, the space between being covered with snowshed. And when I came through, the openings and crevices through which the smoke from engines is wont to make its escape, and through which a few rays of light penetrate the gloomy interior, are blocked up with snow, so that it is both dark and smoky. And groping one's way with a bicycle over the rough surface is anything but pleasant going. So he's describing going through these sheds and it's super dark. There's like occasionally some holes in the roof to let the smoke from the engines out. But most of those are covered over by snow. And that's basically it. There isn't any electric lighting at this point. There wouldn't have been any gas lighting in these. So he's just sort of fumbling his way through these tunnels. Let's continue reading here. But there is nothing so bad, it seems, but that it can get a great deal worse. And before getting far, I hear an approaching train, and forthwith proceed to occupy as small an amount of space as possible against the side, while three laboriously puffing engines tugging a long, heavy freight train up the steep, steep grade go past. So he hears a train coming, and his, his whole deal suddenly shifts now he's not only stumbling through the dark he has to shove himself up against the wall because these things weren't made for walking through they certainly weren't made for biking through not that he's doing any riding anyway but he's got to push his bike up against the wall he has to push himself up against the wall and hope that there's enough clearance in the pitch black of this tunnel for the trains that are coming through to pass him by Continuing on, these three puffing, smoke-emitting monsters fill every nook and corner of the tunnel with dense smoke, 
which creates a darkness by the side of which the natural darkness of the tunnel is daylight in comparison. Here is a darkness that can be felt. I have to grope my way forward, inch by inch, afraid to set my foot down until I have felt the place, for fear of blundering into a culvert, at the same time never knowing whether there is room just where I am to get out of the way of a train. A cyclometer wouldn't have to exert itself much through here to keep tally of the revolutions. For, besides advancing with extreme caution, I pause every few steps to listen, as in the oppressive darkness and equally oppressive silence, the senses are so keenly on the alert that the gentle rattle of the bicycle over the uneven surface seems to make a noise that would prevent me from hearing an approaching train. Now, if that doesn't just set your hair on end, you've got a broken imagination, in my opinion. Because here's this guy groping his way through this nearly pitch dark tunnel. Just a little bit of light maybe filtering through the snow on the occasional holes that are meant to let the smoke from the train come out. And then the train comes and he squishes himself against the the wall and miraculously the train goes by and he doesn't get hurt only now it's even darker because the whole tunnel is full of smoke from these three train engines that are pulling this massive load and he's now groping his way forward in the smoke and the soot barely daring to put down a foot in front of the other like holding his bike as still as he can so that he can maybe hear the oncoming rattle of a train in the distance. And he makes it. He does this. This is like leg one of the journey. And I don't have the passage written down here, but even before that, he has more interesting encounters with the train because he starts out pushing his bike over a very, very long train bridge. And at a certain point, the train comes on the train bridge and again there's not any set place for pedestrians so he has to just get out on the end of a relatively long beam that extends from the train bridge sit down and just kind of hang on to the bike over the water that the train bridge is spanning and wait for the train to pass i i think that thomas stevens trek through the U.S. is something that is really worth remembering. And it's a fascinating point in history because really Thomas Stevens does this at about the earliest point that it would be possible to do this. The The, the span of the, the whole United States is in such a state where it has only just been connected in a way where someone could traverse from one side to the other at all. And he kind of hacks these abilities that the trains open up and the various roads that exist at the point at the time. Although again, they are few and far between at times and the roads that do exist don't really lend themselves all the time to riding. We're talking about gravel in the best times and dirt and non-existent roads in the worst times He's fording streams by using his bicycle as a pole vault because he gets tired of taking off his shoes and socks to get over a stream. Every time he gets to a little stream, he's like, you know what? I've got this bike here. Why don't I just 
use it to launch myself over the stream. And he's he's going through the Wild West on a bicycle. Thomas Stevens, in my mind, is a forgotten hero. And he's the kind of person that everybody should at least know about. You should at least know that somebody named Thomas Stevens existed and that he pulled off this incredible feat at a time when it was nearly unthinkable. And yet Thomas Stevens said, yeah, sure, I'll give this a shot. And I don't know what his mindset was during the journey, but he almost never in his narrative gives out any kind of despair or desperation, which honestly I think takes away from it as a, as a book. If you're reading the book around the world on a bicycle, you almost get the sense of like, Oh, it's no big deal. And yet it's clearly a huge deal. He's just got a, like a really positive attitude about it. And he jokes about things and kind of writes things off that might've been really frustrating at the time, but you know, with the distance of time and you know, you're not doing it anymore. Now he's got some distance from it and he can write down what has happened, but he goes through this stuff on purpose voluntarily just for the sake of being able to say he did it. And then he, he does it. He completes his passage around the world on a giant wheeled penny farthing bicycle. And by the way, if you ever wondered, Hey, why don't we use those anymore? It's because even when you were really good at riding one, you still fell off of it forward a bunch because you're situated essentially over the direct center of the wheel you get the little wheel on the back, so any kind of stoppage you try to do or possibly any kind of resistance the wheel encounters is going to send you forward doing something called a header. It's not something that I had ever heard of as a general bicycling term in any of my time using a bicycle, but it's so common in his day that he's doing one at least once a day, and he's an experienced cyclist of the kind that would be willing to, you know, try to drive his bicycle around the world. I just think there's so much about this world that he encounters and that he lived in that is fascinating. And it's easy to sort of paint over the history with kind of a broad brush. Maybe you have a picture of the American West from some films and you get some little details from that. But when you dig into some of these stories of the people that were actually there, and in this particular case, people who were engaged in some really crazy endeavors themselves, you get a, a completely different flavor of what people were like at this time at this weird pivotal turning point in American history, there was a guy just trying to see if he could ride around in the world on a bicycle. And I think that's interesting. I hope that you found the story interesting as well. If you did, number one, I would say you should check out the story for yourself. Around the World on a Bicycle is available a lot of different places. I'll probably have a link to somewhere you can read it in the description of this episode. 
And if you wanted somebody else to hear the interesting stories and ideas that we have to talk about on this podcast, you should tell a friend about us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time.